Hey, welcome on in, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Matt Kopman Presents What If, the exceptional podcast sequel to Lance and Matt Plus. I, of course, am your host, Matt Kopman, your guide through these vast wastelands of what if, these fields of weird, these caverns of questionable decisions, these mountaintops of what in God's name is Matt thinking. And today, we have got an absolute high-topper peak one for you. The kind of what if that is really why I made this show to begin with. Quite literally why I made this show, because this what if practically breaks reality as we know it fundamentally changes a league that we have all come to grow and love, and further confirms, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the Detroit Pistons have no idea how to draft players. I, of course, am talking about the 2003 NBA draft, and today's what-if question, what if LeBron James is not drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers? In today's show, we're going to take a dive into the history of the NBA draft lottery and why most people assume that it is in fact rigged. I'm kind of among those people. I do think it's kind of rigged, but we're going to play devil's advocate and assume that it actually is the mere luck of ping pong balls bouncing around in one of those like bingo kind of spinning wheels. We're going to dive into that. We're going to go over some of the key moments in the history of the NBA Draft Lottery. There's a few of them, so we'll definitely make sure to touch base on them. And of course, we're going to do a deep dive into the 2003 NBA Draft and cover two key hypotheticals today in our what-if that change so many things. However, between the two of them, still fairly similar outcomes across the board. So we're not going to have too much of a difference between them, except the teams that end up taking LeBron James at number one. And these are going to be courtesy of Undefeated.com and the ThreePointConversion.com. They were the ones that actually came up with this scenario. And it's one that I, I actually think is pretty good. Instead of me trying to dig in through my own and come up with it, they take these two very valid scenarios that very nearly happened and they run with it. This is where they come up with these ideas. This is where they give you some good idea of how things would look in the NBA going forward. And I'll tell you what, there are some doozies as we get into this. But not to give too much away, we don't want to give it away early. Please remember to like, subscribe, click the download button, click the share button. Send this to your friends, send this to your family, send this to your coworkers. Don't send it to Pistons fans, they'll probably just be upset. But definitely send it to everyone else. And with that... Let's go ahead and dive in to the history of the NBA Draft Lottery. First off, let's get something out of the way. The NBA has a history of not really figuring out how to do their drafts. They just don't. You look back through the history of the NBA, some of the ones that come up from 1947 to 1965, the drafts were reverse order, so worst team got the first pick, but they also allowed you to pick a player from a territorial area. So you could pick a star player from your area, and if you did that, you ended up forfeiting your first-round pick. So it was, hey, you could draft from anywhere, or you could draft this local kid, regardless of their standing, but you have to give up your first-round pick. So if you are a team that's like middle of the pack in the draft, but the kid that's going to go number one overall is from your backyard, 
you can use a territory pick on it and just have to forfeit your first round pick. That's a weird system. It gets a little bit better from 1966 through 1984 when the NBA decided to, you know, update their draft system, move into the 20th century a good bit. They used a coin flip. Yeah, it's a coin flip. I didn't stutter. I, I, I wasn't making that up. It was a coin flip between the worst teams in each conference. The bottom team in each conference, there would be a coin flip. Whoever won the coin flip got the first pick in the draft. So looking to 1985, this is when the NBA draft kind of starts to look like what it does today. In the 84 draft in particular, that the Houston Rockets, who, by the way, Houston Rockets drafted Hakeem Olajuwon, so they came out just fine in that draft. They got accused of tanking their season to guarantee that they'd have the worst record and get a best chance to have one of the top two picks, which again, bears repeating, were Hakeem Olajuwon and then Sam Bowie, Michael Jordan at the other end of that sandwich. God, Portland, I feel so bad. I just, I honestly feel bad at that point. But the lottery system involved a random drawing of an envelope from a hopper. Inside each of the envelopes was the name of a non-playoff team. So that's one of the key things that happened initially in 85 that still holds true today. If you're in the playoffs, you don't get to be in the lottery. Simple as that. The team whose envelope was drawn first would get the first pick. The process was then repeated until the rest of the lottery picks were determined. In this system they had at the time, Every team that was not in the playoffs had an equal chance to get the first pick. So that that's just crazy. Absolutely nuts. And then starting in 1987, the NBA modified so that only the first three picks were determined by the lottery. And after those three envelopes were drawn, everyone else that was a non-playoff team was just in reverse order of their win-loss record. So let's say the team with the fifth worst record ends up getting the first overall pick. And then first worst, second worst, in terms of the weighted order after the lottery, the third worst team would now have that fourth overall pick. Fourth worst, and so on and so forth, because number five jumped the ranks. So that's kind of how it worked. And what that meant, once again, was that The team with the worst record could receive no worse than the fourth selection, and the second worst team could pick no lower than fifth. So really it was kind of like intervals of three at a time. You really couldn't move further down than three spots. Now where this gets interesting is right off the bat, a lot of people started to think that there was something fishy about the NBA draft lottery. Because in 1985, the prize at the end of the rainbow, the prize at the bottom of the cereal box was Georgetown University monster Patrick Ewing. Those of you that don't know, Patrick Ewing turned out to be a pretty good player. And if you do know that, I'm just, you know, saying something you already know. But the reason it becomes interesting is the New York Knicks were the team to win it. Now, the New York Knicks had been a marquee franchise for years and had been an absolute train wreck up until that point. Just really struggling, having a bad time. New York Knicks end up winning the lottery. Get Patrick Ewing. Everyone thinks that the NBA rigged the lottery so the Knicks could be guaranteed the first pick. Get the superstar from Georgetown. 
and that system was used until 1989 with the envelopes equal opportunity. Since 1990, this is where the NBA kind of realized there'd be some issues. The NBA changed the format to give the team with the worst record the best chance of landing the first pick. So, say you're the worst team. You would get, out of 66 possible chances, you would earn 11 of them. So those envelopes we were talking about earlier. There'd be 66 of them in that hopper. 11 of them have your name on it. But they change that up, it goes to ping pong balls here in a second. So... With that, the weight system was also used to only determine the first three picks, while the rest of the team selected in reverse order the win-loss record. So, staying true to that old format, the top three bad teams are the only ones this is really determined by. One of the first times that the lottery became a bit of a scandal was in 1993, when the Orlando Magic actually won the lottery with only one chance to obtain the first pick. October of 93, the NBA modified the lottery system to give the team with the worst record an even higher chance to win the draft lottery and to decrease the better team's chances to win. The new system increased the chance of the worst team obtaining the first pick from 16.5% all the way up to 25%. So you're looking at that 66 now. Out of that 66, 22 of those are now you. I mean, that's just an incredible situation in favor of the worst team in the NBA, while decreasing the chances of the best non-playoff team from 1.5% down to half a percent. That's just insane. That's just absolutely insane. Now, there's a little bit of back and forth, where in 2014, the NBA Board of Governors vote on a proposed reform to the lottery, it would have made the four worst teams would be given identical odds about 11-12% at winning the top pick. Fifth team would have a 10% chance, and the odds would you know, decrease going down after that point. Now, the reason they did this, you were still having teams kind of tank their seasons to try and get the best shot at one of these draft picks because you still had such a weighted scale in favor of the worst team on this current format. So they had to change things up. They considered it. Unfortunately, it fell short. You need 23 votes. They only got 17. The NBA draft lottery stayed the same. Now, 2016, this, this is the fun one. This is where things get weird with the NBA draft lottery, where most people start to think the simple fact of the matter is that's completely rigged. 2016, Dikembe Mutombo tweeted prematurely a congratulations message to the 76ers for winning the first pick about five hours before the lottery was conducted. And here's where it gets worse. Philly did actually win the first pick. Things got a little bit hairier for the NBA when it was revealed that every spot remained exactly the same as it was before the event took place, which was the first time in draft lottery history. So first time ever in the history of the NBA draft, no team moved up or down. Everyone stayed exactly where they were supposed to be. Then a year later, Magic Johnson made it even more questionable about the draft process by him assuring head coach Luke Walton that the Lakers were going to get a top three pick for the 2017 NBA draft after an interview Walton had on May 4th of 2017. 12 days before the draft lottery commenced, and by the way, also 12 days before the Lakers moved up somehow into the second overall pick of the draft, a pick they used on Brandon Ingram 
I believe. Maybe, yes, it's either him or Alonzo Ball. I don't know. I don't like either of them. Not important. But what's interesting is you look at the 76ers in particular with the modern NBA draft format. They went out of their way to have atrocious seasons to try and do their trust the process that led to guys like Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, jury's still out on that one, and uh, several other players that they were able to get in high draft picks and then move those picks around for other players. So, what the NBA did in 2019, and has remained this way ever since, the NBA implemented a new lottery system giving worst three teams the exact equal odds at the first overall pick and expanding the lottery up to the top four. So, similar to what you saw them initially try to vote on before, the only difference is, instead of going all the way up to the fifth pick, they stopped at the fourth pick. So these changes were put in place really just to make sure that you didn't have anyone pulling the 76ers type of situation. It's really as simple as that. And a little side note, because there have been some teams added to the NBA since the lottery took place, the Toronto Raptors and, at the time, Vancouver Grizzlies. The NBA had to make an agreement with the Raptors and the Grizzlies when they joined the league that neither team would be eligible to get the first overall pick in 1996, 1997, and 1998. Where this gets really interesting is that in 96, the Raptors actually won the lottery, but they had to give it up and settle for the second overall pick which then another combination was drawn, and the 76ers won that. Two years later, the Grizzlies actually won and had to pick second, where the Clippers ended up getting the first pick. You see right there, the NBA's doing wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. You have these GMs and owners and people making congratulatory tweets well in advance or having discussions or interviews in advance. Makes things a little fishy, to say the least. Now, how does the actual system work? So in the new system, 14 numbered table tennis balls are used. Then a four-number combination from the 14 balls are drawn to determine the lottery winner. Prior to the draft, the NBA assigns 1,000 possible combinations to the non-playoff teams. Process is then repeated to determine the second and the third pick. So in short, the way it works, table tennis balls, and it's practically bingo. And if your card happens to get filled first, congratulations, you have the first overall pick. Now looking back on the NBA draft lottery history, uh, some of those players that we were talking about are some of those drafts in particular. Let's actually cover them real quick. In 1993, the Orlando Magic, one of the first ones we mentioned, one out of 66 chances ended up having to give their pick to Golden State due to a previous trade. That pick turned into Chris Webber, from the University of Michigan, end up having a pretty solid career. Although hindsight being 2020, my goodness, what would have been had the Orlando Magic been able to keep that pick where the previous year they got Shaquille O'Neal? You'd have had Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Webber, and Penny Hardaway on the same roster for a while there. My goodness, what could have been? 1996, Philadelphia 76ers as a charity gift because of the deal David Stern put in place with the Toronto Raptors ends up drafting Allen Iverson. 1998, the L.A. Clippers, who gave got their first overall pick due to the Vancouver Grizzlies, 
winning the lottery that year. Select Michael Olawokandi, if I'm saying his name correctly. He, he flamed out after a couple years. He was not in the NBA that long. In between those, the NBA got it right. San Antonio Spurs, third worst record out of 727 potential lottery combinations. They got it on, they had 157 available, 22.5%. They took Tim Duncan. The rest is just history. 1999, the Chicago Bulls select Elton Brand with a third worst record. New Jersey Nets in 2000, seventh worst record, probably the highest that you saw after the modification took place. Seventh worst record in the NBA, only a 44 out of 1,000 chance, 4%. End up drafting Kenyon Martin. Works out pretty well for them. 2001, the Washington Wizards, led by legendary general manager Michael Jordan, with the third worst overall record and a 15% chance, draft Kwame Brown out of high school. And I can hear the laughter coming from most NBA fans right now. 2002, the Houston Rockets, the fifth worst record, 8.9% chance end up drafting Yao Ming. So, you go through the history of the NBA draft in its early stages. You have Patrick Ewing, Brad Doherty, David Robinson was the first overall pick, Larry Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Webber, Joe Smith is another name that comes to mind, Allen Iverson, 96, Tim Duncan, 97, Elton Brand, Kenyon Martin, Yao Ming. Lots of Hall of Fame quality players. So you get the idea why the first overall pick is kind of a big deal. You tend not to miss on that. And in 2003, Cleveland Cavaliers able to take a local kid tied for the worst record in the NBA, 22.5% taking LeBron James out of St. Vincent St. Mary in Akron, Ohio. Going through some of the other first overall picks since the NBA draft lottery has taken place. 2004, Orlando Magic take Dwight Howard. 2005, Milwaukee Bucks take Andrew Bogut. 2006, Toronto Raptors, Andrea Bargnani. 2007, Portland Trailblazers with another epic miss. The Portland Trailblazers might be up there with the Detroit Pistons and their inability to draft as they took Greg Oden over Kevin Durant. 2008, Chicago Bulls, ninth worst record at the time. At that point, the highest differential between best non-playoff team and chances to win the draft. They took Derrick Rose. Clippers in 2009 take Blake Griffin. Wizards in 2010, John Wall. The Clippers actually won in 2011, but that was traded earlier in the year to the Cleveland Cavaliers, where they take the earth is flat, Kyrie Irving. 2012 is Anthony Davis. 2013, the Cleveland Cavaliers selected Anthony Bennett for reasons that defy common sense and logic to this very day. 2014... This pick later actually got traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Kevin Love, the Cleveland Cavaliers with the ninth worst record. So again, you're seeing that nine being really the cutoff here before teams actually get a chance to really have a shot at the draft. Ninth worst record. They take Andrew Wiggins. For my money, I would have kept Andrew Wiggins. That's a conversation for another time. Minnesota Timberwolves with the worst record took Carl Anthony Towns. 2016 Philadelphia 76ers with a record of 10-72, and 72, the worst record by far. Take Ben Simmons, really had not much of a chance on that one. 2017 Brooklyn Nets had to give this pick from the Boston Celtics to the Philadelphia 76ers. That ends up being Markel Fultz, 2018 Phoenix Suns, worst record DeAndre Ayton. 
2019 New Orleans Pelicans, the seventh worst record, somehow get Zion Williamson conveniently the same year after, you know, Anthony Davis moves on and becomes a L.A. Laker. Once again, just got called as it is. There's reasons that people think the NBA draft is rigged. 2020, Minnesota Timberwolves, the first one out of the new format, took Anthony Edwards as they had the third worst record in the NBA. And the most recent one, Detroit Pistons, second worst chances, or second worst schedule. So equal odds of 14% take Cade Cunningham out of Oklahoma State. So there is your NBA draft lottery history and most recent recap. So now let's get into the 2003 NBA draft in particular. That's the one we're here to talk about. That's the one we want the answers to. So when you look at that 2003 NBA draft, and we're just going to focus on the top five picks. You know the history. You know how it actually stands. Cleveland took LeBron James. Detroit took Darko Milicic. Milicic, sure. Milicic, sure. Doesn't matter. He didn't make it too long in the league anyway. Four Hall of Famers and Darko. That's a rough beat for the Detroit Pistons. This is why I stand by the statement. Sorry, Detroit. You guys just don't necessarily know how to draft when you're in the high spots. Hopefully, Cade Cunningham is a difference maker for you. But where this gets interesting, where 2003 lottery starts to play a little bit interesting. I keep using that word, interesting. It's really hard to gauge. You can only go off of the fact that maybe the lottery follows a particular order. But a lot of people don't necessarily know that Detroit was not the real owner of that number two overall pick. It actually belonged to the Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies had made a trade back in 1997 for Otis Thorpe, of all people. And that trade, they conveyed to Detroit any of their first-round picks. They had different protections on them between 1998 and 2003. In other words, Memphis was like, hey, we'll just take Otis Thorpe. Here's a first-round pick that eventually will have to come through. See if you want it or not. Well, they ended up continuously falling within the protected area until 2003. And when 2003 came around, the protection was just for one pick. That was number one overall. Here's where it gets good. The NBA draft lottery, the final two picks that were left were Cleveland and Memphis. It was one combination of numbers away from the Memphis Grizzlies winning that first overall pick. So it could have very easily been David Stern saying with the first pick in the 2003 NBA draft, the Memphis Grizzlies select LeBron James. Just imagine how nuts that would have been. Just seriously, that would have gone absolutely insane. Because here's some of just the immediate impact. The Grizzlies get LeBron James. Detroit no longer has a top five pick, which means the Cleveland Cavaliers are picking second. At that point, because of the players they had on their roster, most likely alternate pick was Carmelo Anthony. Denver would still pick third, and would have most likely taken Dwayne Wade then, because they still needed a perimeter score. Chris Bosh still winds up in Toronto. In this scenario, though, Miami had been mock-drafted to oblivion uh, drafting a center, in particular Chris Kamen, because everyone thought Darko was not going to be there. Well, Darko's there now, so they take Darko, which leaves Chris Kamen to go to the Lakers with the, or the Clippers, excuse me, with the next pick at number six. 
So now that's right off the bat where things change. You have a new draft order of LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, or I'm sorry, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and then Darko or possibly Chris Kamen. Now here's where it gets fun for Grizzly fans. Your roster that year would have been Pau Gasol, Mike Miller, Shane Battier, Jason Williams, and James Posey with LeBron James being your new star attraction. That is a great roster. I mean, my goodness, there's actually players on that roster that ended up becoming teammates of LeBron James when he was in Miami with Shane Battier and Mike Miller. You want to talk about a perfect supporting cast for a young LeBron James? How about the guys that became the perfect supporting cast for a starting-to-enter-his-prime LeBron James? like he did when it was in Miami, and he had both those guys playing with him and helping him out and helping him win titles. It's just, it's crazy. This Memphis Grizzlies team has two of the big contributors that helped LeBron in Miami get an NBA title. So you got to look at this team. They would be an incredibly talented Memphis Grizzlies squad. easily by the time LeBron's in his second or third season, a championship caliber team. So, where do we go from this? If you accept that LeBron James becomes a Grizzly rather than a Cavalier, it changes so many things. The big one is the LA Lakers. In 2007, Kobe Bryant actually had requested a trade, preferably to the Chicago Bulls in 2007. This is after Shaquille O'Neal left in 2004, Lakers really failed to do much of anything. It was kind of a downtime for the L.A. Lakers. What made things better was in 2008, the Lakers traded for Pau Gasol from Memphis. And they traded for Pau Gasol because Memphis was in a rebuild. Memphis doesn't trade Pau Gasol if LeBron James is still on that roster. So you're looking at the L.A. Lakers absolutely getting completely blown up and Kobe Bryant moving into the Eastern Conference and becoming a Chicago Bull, playing the back end of his career in the house that Jordan built. Wow. How much does that change? That changed a lot because Bryant, in theory, only ends with three NBA titles as opposed to five. That changes a lot of things. That changes in 2011. The LA Lakers gained their trade vetoed for Chris Paul. So Chris Paul never becomes an LA Clipper. And to top all of that off, we're not even talking about the fact that Pau Gasol's brother, Mark Gasol, his entire career has changed at that point because Mark was actually with the Lakers. He was traded in as a development project, kind of like a throwaway thing, as part of the Pau Gasol trade. So think about that. Mark Gasol had an incredible run in Memphis. He was a multiple all-star winner, one defensive player of the year. In 2013. And by the way, he got traded in 2019 to the Toronto Raptors in that win now year with Kawhi Leonard to get them their first NBA title. Marcus Sol's probably not even in the NBA at that point. Do do the Raptors win? Do do the Toronto Raptors stop the Golden State Dynasty in its tracks because of injuries and the fact that Toronto just beat them? That we don't know. There's no way to tell on that one. So with just one change, with the Memphis Grizzlies taking that number one pick, you got to think about like this, the histories and the legacy of 
the following players are completely and radically changed. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony. Dwayne Wade very easily could end up a New York Knick. Maybe he's not happy in Denver and requests a trade. Maybe he loves it in Denver and builds his own little super team out there. Maybe Dwayne Wade in Denver with George Carl as his head coach convinces the banana boat buddies to become, I don't know, mountain climbing buddies instead. And they all join Dwayne Wade in Denver forming a Western Conference superpower. Or maybe they join LeBron in Memphis instead. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. What is what do the Cavaliers do with Carmelo Anthony? Are they still the same team throughout the early and mid-2000s? Do they still have to blow it up when Carmelo Anthony demands a trade out like he did in Denver? Or does Carmelo Anthony get to play king in Cleveland, get whatever players he wants around him, and we're talking about Carmelo Anthony as a generational talent with the Cavaliers? That could happen. At the bare minimum, four NBA championships are changed. 2009-2010 Lakers probably don't win it since there's no Pau Gasol and no Kobe Bryant. The Miami Heat definitely don't win because they don't trade. They don't go get Shaquille O'Neal because they just drafted a center in either Chris Kamen or Darko. And honestly, a good chance that the 2019 Toronto Raptors don't win because they don't get Marc Gasol because he never got to develop in Memphis and become the star that he was. And once again, we got to go back to the big three conversation. Do LeBron, Wade, and Bosh ever team up? Is it in Miami? Probably not. I mean, maybe. We don't know. Pat Riley is a, is, is a sneaky, sneaky dude. There's a chance he could still make that happen. But we don't know. So let's assume that those are on the line, too. Let's assume the 2016 NBA title for the Cavs is on the line. You, you got to look at it from the standpoint of one simple change. LeBron going to Memphis could completely alter the NBA as you know it. Now, that one alters it a good bit. The other one that really changes things up is if Denver wins the top overall pick. Now, with Denver, the overall trajectory of these players kind of remain the same. So you look at the what-if scenarios that occurred with Memphis. Maybe a few things change here and there. Uh, you could realistically look at uh, the fact that Kobe Bryant probably stays with the Lakers. Pau Gasol trade still happens. Those sorts of things remain the same. But Denver, my goodness, you want to talk about just bad luck. Denver Nuggets owner at the time, Stan Kroenke, he, he knew going in that he was absolutely hosed. Because during the rehearsal, the Nuggets actually won the lottery, got the number one pick. It was a rehearsal filming for the live show that was about to occur later on. That He was so upset about that, so, so, so frustrated about that fact that, my God, we won the lottery, but it was in a rehearsal, so it doesn't count. I mean, Denver ended up okay. They ended up getting Carmelo Anthony in the real world, had a nice run with Carmelo Anthony, traded him for a boatload of players, and now seem to be one of the better teams consistently in the Western Conference. Haven't been able to close the deal just yet, but still a pretty good team nonetheless. Now, with LeBron potentially going to Denver, you look at that crew that he would have been running with, he would have had a pretty good cast of characters around him. He would have had another 
future teammate in Chris Birdman Anderson. But he also would have had Marcus Camby as a center, Andre Miller as his point guard, Vashon Lennard, and Nene. That's a pretty talented starting lineup in its own right. Throwing in LeBron to that mix just makes that an incredibly dangerous combination. I mean, just think about that. With, with either Memphis or Denver, LeBron James in the Western Conference, you're going to have him going against Tim Duncan's San Antonio Spurs, Dirk Nowitzki's Mavericks, the Rockets of Yao Ming, Phoenix with Steve Nash, and of course, LeBron versus Kobe. You finally would have gotten that matchup. You finally would have been able to see that. would have been in a Western Conference Finals which would have been a little bit unfortunate. You would prefer to see that in an NBA final, but still, you would have finally got LeBron versus Kobe. It would have finally happened, and it would have been just, for my money, would have been glorious. But that's not important. Let's look at the other picks in general. So in this scenario, Denver has number one. They take LeBron James. Cleveland retains the number two pick. They still take Carmelo Anthony. Detroit, however, now has that number three pick and still ends up taking Darko. This is what I was talking about earlier. Detroit was just transfixed by this kid, thought he was going to be the next great thing as a center, and it just straight up did not work out. My goodness, it was brutal from start to finish. So they still get Darko. Toronto still ends up with Bosch, and Miami still ends up with Wade. So you don't really see a ton of changes at that point. It's not a big change up from one team to the other. You don't see Dwayne Wade somehow ending up in Denver. Um, where it gets interesting from here is if you look at the career paths of everyone, Carmelo asked out of Denver quick. He wanted out in a hurry. Let's assume LeBron potentially does the same thing. Do you still get a big three of LeBron, Wade, and Bosh in Miami? And the answer is possibly. There's a possibility of that. There's a distinct possibility, as a matter of fact. You could still get that. Where it gets more interesting, though, is the fact that Denver would have been a potential landing spot for a big three, which would have been crazy to think about. And you got to factor in whether or not Carmelo stays in Cleveland. Maybe he's the one that still demands a trade to New York, and Cleveland ends up with all those. Like I just mentioned earlier talking about Memphis. So but when it comes to changes to the NBA, the big one is if Memphis would have won it. Had Memphis ended up winning that lottery pick, the NBA changes dramatically. If it's Denver, you still have a pretty good change to the NBA. LeBron James, you end up with a pretty stacked Western Conference and a very weak Eastern Conference. It becomes tougher to see how the Eastern Conference keeps up. Because mind you, at this time, Kevin Garnett is still in Minnesota. Ray Allen is still in Milwaukee, or Seattle, I think, at that particular time. Gary Payton is still in the Western Conference. A lot of stars are in the Western Conference. Wouldn't have been until 2004 with the Orlando Magic winning the first overall pick and Dwight Howard coming onto the scene. Would you have had the next superstar in the Eastern Conference? You still had Allen Iverson. Still had some good players in the Eastern Conference, but nothing compared to what would have been the crazy stacked Western Conference had LeBron James been drafted by Denver or by Memphis. To recap, 
basically everything of the last 17 years changes fundamentally if LeBron James is drafted by the Memphis Grizzlies instead of the Cleveland Cavaliers. If it's the Denver Nuggets, I think you see some changes, but I don't think you see the massive ripple effect that occurred like it would in Memphis. I don't think you see the Lakers get blown up. I think Kobe stays a Laker for life. I think you still end up with the possibility of a big three in Miami because Dwayne Wade still ends up in Miami. It It's not as seismic of a change. That's why I want to fa- keep that one for a second because really Memphis, man, had Memphis been able to just get the absolute luck of one ping pong ball, that would have just drastically changed the NBA as we know it. And that makes for one hell of a good what if. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into our other two categories that we usually do this day in history. And of course, our interesting fact of the show. Interesting fact for me, happy growth spurt day, Mount Everest. Now, Mount Everest may not have physically grown having reached maturity a long time ago in terms of its overall height. Most recent measurement performed by surveyors representing China and Nepal has the mountain peak standing taller than we thought it has in the past. Previous readings have ranged from 29,002 feet above sea level down to 20,029 feet in 1955, which was wildly wrong. (laughs) Just completely wrong. The current standing much closer to 29,002 feet, which has been the relatively accepted height, it now stands at 29,031.69 feet, and that is entirely due to plate tectonics. So there you go. If you were ever wondering if Mount Everest was going to have another growth spurt and keep its record as the world's tallest mountain, it has grown by a whopping 28 feet, did I see? Let me see if I can do the math in my head. 29 feet. Oh, my sixth grade math teacher would be very proud of me right now. Another interesting fact, the best place in the world to see rainbows is in Hawaii. If you're an avid rainbow gazer and want to get your fill of the beautiful phenomenon, you got to look no further than the state of Hawaii. According to the American Meteorological Society in 2021, that's this year, at least this year when I recorded this, could be 2022 when you listen to this, could be 2027, could be 2927. Maybe this lives on forever. Who knows? But according to the American Meteorological Society in 2021, they noted that the area's mountains produce a sharp gradient in clouds and rainfall, which are key to abundant rainbow sightings. Air pollution, pollen, and a large amount of cresting waves off the coast also help to put Hawaii at the top of the list when it comes to rainbow quantity and quality. So if you're a big fan of rainbows, clearly the plan is to get on a plane, go to Hawaii, enjoy a lovely frozen beverage on the beach, and check out a high quality rainbow at some point during your stay. And now for today in history, we're we're recording this right around December 1st, and there's a few interesting ones, but the one that we're going to stick with, December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks ignites the bus boycott. In Montgomery, Alabama on December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks is jailed for refusing to give up her seat on a public bus to a white man, a violation of the city's racial segregation laws. 
the successful Montgomery bus boycott organized by a young Baptist minister named Martin Luther King Jr. followed Park's historic act of civil disobedience. The mother of the civil rights movement, as Rosa Parks is known, was born in Tuskegee, Alabama in 1913. She worked as a seamstress and in 1943 joined the Montgomery chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. According to a Montgomery City ordinance in 1955, African Americans were required to sit at the back of public buses and were also obligated to give up those seats to white riders if the front of the bus was filled. That's so stupid. My God. Well, we can touch on the stupidity of the horrific Jim Crow laws and things of that nature in our time. Just, God, that was stupid. Parks was in the first row of the black section when the white driver demanded that she give up her seat to a white man. Parks' refusal was spontaneous but was not merely brought on by her tired feet, as is the popular legend. In fact, local civil rights leaders had been planning a challenge to Montgomery's racist bus laws for several months, and Parks had actually been privy to those discussions. Learning of Parks' arrest, the NAACP and other African-American activists immediately called for a bus boycott to be held by black citizens on Monday, December 5th. Word was spread by flyers, and activists formed the Montgomery Improvement Association to organize the protest. First day of the bus boycott was a great success, and then that night, the 26-year-old Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. told a large crowd gathered at church, the great glory of American democracy is the right to protest for right. King emerged as the leader of the bus boycott, and unfortunately received numerous death threats from opponents of integration. At one point, his home was bombed, but he and his family escaped bodily harm. The boycott stretched for on for more than a year, and participants carpooled or walked miles to work and school when no other means were possible. As African Americans previously constituted 70% of the Montgomery bus ridership, municipal transit systems suffered gravely during the boycott. And on November 13th of 1956, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down Alabama State and Montgomery City bus segregation laws as being in violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. From there, the Civil Rights Movement continued to grow, and it grew on the strength of that first boycott, that Montgomery bus boycott, that was started in large part to Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on December 1st, 1955. And if you want my two cents on the matter, folks, that is someone doing the Lord's work, standing up for what is right, standing up for the right thing in the face of overwhelming adversity. That's a good one to close this show on. That's going to do it for this episode of Matt Hopman Presents What If. Thank you very much for listening. We look forward to getting the next one out for you. A little preview. It's going to involve the happiest place on earth, Mickey Mouse. Donald Duck, a rabbit named Oswald, and a complete business coup that nearly resulted in none of those other characters I just mentioned ever existing. That's right, we are going down a trip through Main Street, USA. Gonna take a hard left at Adventureland, maybe hit up Frontierland and Fantasyland on our way to Tomorrowland, since I'll be recording this episode in the future, so, you know, in the Tomorrowland area. We're talking, of course, of Walt Disney himself and that what if, which will be what if Walt Disney never lost the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit.
I can guarantee about 90% of non-Disney fans out there just said, who? That's exactly why we're doing it. It'll be our first non-sports-related deep dive, like our first serious non-sports-related deep dive here on Matt Cotman Presents What If. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. In the likely chance that we don't get that done before the end of the holiday season, just want to wish everyone a very happy holidays, a very safe new year, and looking forward to talking with you guys again real soon on another edition of Matt Cotman Presents What If. Keep doing the Lord's work, everybody. Catch you later.